Hey, hello, and welcome to season one, episode one of Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. What we do here is we're taking a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite media properties. Uh, just a few quick housekeeping things, though. To join the conversation, here's how to find us. The Digital Dissection podcast is on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Facebook at Digital Dissect One. And if you're wondering who the whole us is, well, one half of that us is me, uh, your host, Joe, and the other half is Mark. Mark, yes. We'll be taking you through, uh, as Mark said, some of our favorite properties and what really got us, uh, you know, so into them and attracted to them uh, and why we like them as much as we do and how they've carried through our, and how they've just maintained a part of our lives. Yeah, especially with the, with the first topic like this, we thought Ghostbusters was going to be a fantastic topic to do a deep dive on. And every time we would formulate ideas for a potential podcast idea, Ghostbusters always just found its way on that whiteboard. Yeah, nine times out of ten, uh, we'd be talking about something and Ghostbusters just kind of weaves its way in there. And honestly, yeah, honestly, I'm happy that it did because uh, you guys are going to find out that we didn't just talk about the most commonly known things of Ghostbusters. And mm -hmm. instead, you're going to hear quite a bit about things that you probably didn't know. Um, and uh, now you've got quick reference on. So we hope you enjoy it. We were glad that you found us and uh, look forward to, to having you join us again for future topics. Yeah. Uh, enjoy the episode. It's going it's going right now see the red lights right there <laughs> <laughs> sorry you know the, the, the whole time we talked about this idea it it was like it, just excitement that i didn't really know how to rein in mm -hmm. um and then as it slowly became more real you know obviously here we are yeah we're here we're we're creating content <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, yeah, which mm -hmm. it, that's that's as good an intro as any. Really? Um, <laughs> after spending a total of like 10 minutes to come up with names, we landed mm -hmm. on digital dissection. Yes. Where we'll be taking a closer and possibly unnecessary uh, look into some of our favorite properties. Yeah, I love how we we even told ourselves it might be unnecessary because we know there's probably a you know, a bit of truth to that. Oh yeah. There, there's, there's definitely gonna be enough here to entertain you, but also parts that we will, you'll wonder why we thought that way or even bothered to think about it in the first place. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in the larger, you know, the sense mm -hmm. it, it just, what it means, we want to do a more in-depth analysis than your average top 10 list or YouTube video, Yeah, uh, a, a mm -hmm. deeper dive, but not so deep that you question your own humanity. No, we don't need that. We don't need you walking away from it wondering like why, why you're here and what it all means just because these guys didn't like that movie that you watched. Um, we don't need that. We don't need that at all. You don't need that. And we're not going to make you go there. The last thing we want to do is put all this time and effort into something and then cause our subscribers to actually you know, go mentally insane. So yeah, we don't need this dropping from one subscriber to zero overnight. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. We don't, we don't want that to happen to anyone, you at yeah. all. 
and and actually with with just this episode i i think we're already within the top three million podcasts in the united states easy so, yeah mm-hmm. and that's that's a milestone that i think is absolutely worth you know celebrating um but not yep. not too much because we no, can't no, afford no, no. We can't afford a very large celebration. Not at all. And and in terms of joining and making podcasts, we are very late in the pandemic to make one. So because like I mean they they this you know they erupted uh, over the past year. So way for us to decide, hey, we're finally going to make it. Um, you know, basically on what the pandemic's one year anniversary. Yeah, but we wouldn't have qualified for that free money. No, I, there, there's no. there's no way to really dice that where we get even a cent of, of that, that bailout money. So <laughs> either way, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think what, what is great for this first episode is, you know, if we're going to do a deep dive, we might mm-hmm. as well do it on one of the most iconic properties. I think that's ever come out really in the last, I mean, I just say of all time, not even the last yeah, 30 no. years. Mm-hmm. Um, it literally, it, it defined a genre that was pretty much just getting mm-hmm. you know on its legs. And, and then of course is 1984's Ghostbusters. Yes. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, the, the, what I always think about when I think of Ghostbusters was if we want to step into that DeLorean, you know, going, going back to the eighties and <laughs> that Miller meteor, let's do yeah. this. <laughs> we, we hit that 88 <laughs> miles per hour. So, you know, when, when Ghostbusters came out, um, mm-hmm. I wasn't even an idea yet. You know, I, yeah. I was, you actually, you and I were both still in the hopper for another two years, weren't we? Yeah, we weren't there. Not even planned. But then again, I was never planned. So there is that whole chestnut, but <laughs> which that's a, that's a deep dive for another day, whole another day, whole another day. We'll have a, um, we'll have a doctor help us with that one. Well, you know, I like to think that I was planned, you know, mm-hmm. because, because being the youngest of three, you have to assume that it's like a trilogy, right? Yeah. Like they, they mm-hmm. did the first one and they're like, all right, let's just see how this one yeah. goes. This one, it, it deserved yeah. a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it earned enough to do a sequel. Yep. You know, and by the third one they're you know, you just, they just want closure at that point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter how good it is. We, we just need to need to end the story. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, if you, mm-hmm. if you take my, you know, my life's accomplishments and you, you whittle it down to a week, it, it, it looks decent. It's decent. Yeah. It's totally yeah. decent. <laughs> but either way, but Hey, know. back to 1984 here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We just jumped so, to 1986 for no, no reason well, I mean, at all. Hey, this is context that somebody needs. I don't know. Who does, but... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, neither one of us could sit in the mm-hmm. theaters and actually view this thing. No. So I guess my question for you, and mm-hmm. I'll share mine as well in a little bit, but how did you find Ghostbusters? I found it, uh, actually, I found it on Saturday morning first. Uh, my my first experience of the property before even the movie was the cartoon, The Real Ghostbusters. Um, oh, yeah. I remember watching that as a kid um, and absolutely loving uh two episodes in particular that terrified me with um the boogeyman cometh um and the episode with the grundle and little did little me know that there was actually a movie that was based off of this whole thing and then (laughs) so i go to watch the movie and it's like immediately better than the cartoon because um it's real now like as much as i love cartoons and loved cartoons then and still have cartoons now um when you see something in live action it is just that much more captivating and gripping to you. So when uh, I went from seeing um, my cartoon heroes um, working together to solve a problem and make something scary, less scary, 
because they always did it. Like in the cartoon, they were always making fun of the ghosts as they, as they went after them. And mm-hmm. then you go to the movie and you see them do the same thing. And most of the humor goes over your head at that age. And it comes back around as you grow older. Um, and that's what got me into it was just, um, it was cool seeing people catch ghosts. And then what was even better for me, and again, like saying how it gets better as it goes along. I remember as a kid, like really young, um, really enjoying it just for the special effects. Um, and then as I got older, appreciating the humor and that much more of what's going on. Um, something about like taking something so extraordinary and making it mundane uh, when you find the supernatural and you turn it into an extermination service. Um, (laughs) So the guys, they're not, they don't look like these, like, I don't know. They don't look like mystics. They don't look like, um, they don't look even like scientists like they they are in the movie. They just look like, you know, they're exterminators. Um, I mean, it literally looks like the guy you call when you you find ants in your kitchen and your wife's freaking out, you know, Mm and you're almost ready to go to a hotel and and this is the person you call you know yeah and that's um, who shows up he he makes <laughs> he starts making fun of uh, your choice in furniture as he's there doing his job because this is all he has going for him and and that's what ghostbusters does um they take that same idea that same spin and they just apply it on a much much larger level on a grander scale and it brings it down um not, I don't want to say it, it brings it down to like the level of all of us to where we can enjoy it. Well, there's two things that I, I really want to point out in, in what you just mentioned. So obviously the, the animated Ghostbusters was, you know, dictated the real Ghostbusters, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was the real Ghostbusters because there was another Ghostbusters before it. Yeah, there was um, Filmation's Ghostbusters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which when, you know, when you're starting to create million dollar properties, someone should probably go, hey, is this copyrighted? You and, would think someone would look for that first. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, the folks at, at Columbia, it mm-hmm. kind of flew over their head. But, yeah. you know, by the time the real Ghostbusters came around, which, which by the way, uh, it was on ABC mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, one of the things I always cracked up about as a kid, though, this has nothing to do with mm-hmm. the actual show. But <laughs> if you remember uh, Deke Enterprises, mm-hmm. that, oh, yeah. that helped. Yeah. So every, every end of the episode, you know, you'd see your credits and all of a sudden there was deek deek. And I'm like, dude, I'm only like four years old and I'm already laughing at dick jokes. <laughs> you know, who, who would have seen that one coming? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one fun fact about real Ghostbusters though, is that it was actually distributed by Coca-Cola t- uh, telecommunications. Of course it was. Someone yeah. had to sell us something. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, toys, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the mugs and all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Balloons for the kids. That, 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 yeah. that whole sort of thing. That's how they did it, man. Mm-hmm. That's how they, ha- I mean, it's crazy to think that something is as popular as Ghostbusters needed Coca-Cola's help, but I mean, they, they rule everything, man. You gotta start somewhere. In which case, you know, Coca-Cola, we could use that help too. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> Episode Coca-Cola. One, yeah. We, we begging for sponsors. Now, right now, we're going to say, you know, not a sponsor because they a sponsor. Are, they're absolutely not a sponsor. We can't we can't stress that enough. No, somewhere there is like a Coca-Cola equivalent of uh, Mr. Incredible saying that you're not affiliated with me <laughs> as he's pointing at our podcast. <laughs> I, I just hope that we don't turn into supervillains when we, we get turned down, which will happen. I guarantee it'll you. happen. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely happening. Uh, you, you know, going back to like the the early days of Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. long before I ever had any kind of trivia knowledge whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually lived in Alaska at the time. 
uh, when, when Ghostbusters was popular. And really it was one of my first cinematic experiences that I could even remember. I mean, and the, when you like, when there was the inception known as my brain, right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first memory that went in there was Ghostbusters and we rented the Ghostbusters VHS from our, our local uh, non-national rental chain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't even remember it though. I mean, this is like, you know, well over 30 years ago, Yep. but we rented the video so many times. The guy behind the counter finally just told my dad, you know, Hey, you could easily afford to just buy the beach bought this several times over <laughs> yep you i mean you've got you've got so much credit with this place you mm-hmm. know like so yeah they finally just uh just kicked it our way so <laughs> they just gave it to you like, it, well they don't least, need this, you need this more than we do yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's literally what the vhs copy of ghostbusters still mm-hmm. at my parents house it's it's literally uh not in like the columbia style vhs sleeve like it's mm-hmm. It's in this, you know, this this white uh, VHS container, oh, and they and they okay. diced, they diced up the box and slid it into there, you know. So mm-hmm. nice, yeah. yeah. Which on that note, speaking of the box, like on my bookshelf where I have a bunch of books and and nerdery and nerd things, I actually have the 1984 Ghostbusters VHS on that shelf <laughs> in its original 1984 box, where it, like opens from the side and doesn't have the hole on the bottom. Yeah, um, yeah. Because part of what I did. Um, after I saw the movie for the first time as a kid, I made a point of it to watch it every Halloween on my own uh, at some point in time. Uh, and it got to the point where finally, when I hit, it was 2006. I remember this because it was a very sad Halloween. Uh, I went to watch it and the VHS like stopped working. Oh, like no. it had worn the film down. So you had that white bar in the middle of the screen. The sound was all goofy after that. Um, and the so the VHS right? is dead. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 gone, but not forgotten because I I keep its 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 carcass on my bookshelf and refuse to get rid of it. it there, just because, and this is for those of you you know listening from home, mm-hmm. calling that the Long Halloween would just crack me up based on your affinity <laughs> for DC properties. It would, yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I stick with them even though their movies are horrible. Um, yeah. wow. <laughs> Well, no, for another can, podcast i was gonna go. say we we can dive so deep on that one and there's mm-hmm. plenty of content there but oh, yeah but yes for today we will be diving into 1984's ghostbusters yes and just like the mission statement said you know there, there's so many people who have done these top 10 lists top five lists whatever mm-hmm. and everybody knows about the john candy connection the oh, yeah. the john belushi connection mm-hmm. the original know, the, cast that was pitched and just never never went through yeah, Eddie Murphy but, never made it to that film. No, no. I mean that that stuff you can find. I mean, if mm-hmm. you if you so much as just you know stumble over Ghostbusters trivia, you're gonna know that stuff. Oh yeah. Um, you know what? What I would love to actually dig a bit more into mm-hmm. is is almost um <laughs> like it, it's almost like a, a dive that you would do you know like a college thesis on, right? Yeah. Like like you're you're doing a, a level of dissection for a film. Um, that goes way beyond what the most popular things end up coming from it. And what, what I mean by that is, mm-hmm. you know, you, you and I, we can get into um, some of the, the history of how we even became Ghostbusters, but there was, we had a stint in that. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> For a time we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you talk about Ghostbusters, everybody tends to talk about the same stuff. You mm-hmm. know, they, they're always focused on, oh man, it's one of the funniest movies you've ever seen. Yeah, blah, blah, yeah. Blah. The did you know facts, that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just too easy. 
you yeah. know, um, the, the stuff that I took away from Ghostbusters and a lot of it has to do with the fact that I grew up with this movie. And when I watched it as a kid, there were very specific things that I cared about, which mm-hmm. was uh, pretty much just the montages, the, uh, the, you know, the first time at the Sedgwick hotel catching uh, Slimer, yep. all mm-hmm. that, you know, th- those are the things I looked forward to then. But as I grew older, I got much more interested in the, the development of characters, the mm-hmm. presentation of the movie itself and how it kind of becomes the perfect film when you start to analyze all of these individual parts. Yes. And like, again, like noticing subtle things of how the characters interact with each other, the more you watch the movie that you don't realize maybe the first time through. Um, like definitely, like I remember, um, thinking everything was hunky dory among all three members until like I got older and you realize that like, Hey, at least two of them really don't get along. If like, if they even like each other at all, like they're definitely here in a business arrangement. And the funny thing is, is that you, you can, you can pretty much uh, find some commonality with that no mm-hmm. matter who you are, because just think of any job you've ever had. Yeah, any group and, project, <laughs> any group project, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you always meet that person who just shows up. Right. Mm-hmm you always meet that person who may take the situation too seriously. Yep. And you can just feel that between, you know, Egon Spangler and Peter Vankman. Yes. <laughs> Harold Ramis in rest in peace mm-hmm. and, and Bill Murray perspective or respectively. The, 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 those guys were playing those roles as if like th- they had that context. Somebody either directed it to them or, mm-hmm. Or they just knew it based off of their working relationship, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, I mean, the people in this film were collaborators, whether it was Saturday Night Live, uh, whether it was actually the movies that they contributed to, acting, mm-hmm. writing. You know, Ramis was pretty much at that point in time uh, always really known as a writer. Yeah. Because um, I hate well, he to worked you- on several things throughout the 80s. A lot of the bigger movies that people like sometimes don't even realize that Ramis was responsible for them. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think, when you look back at it, you know, two of the films I spent a lot of time with outside of Ghostbusters from that period was, you know, Stripes mm-hmm. and, and Groundhog's Day. Yeah. And when you think about it, uh, you know, Ramis and, and uh, Murray were, you know, once again, collaborators in those. They were. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and actually that's a really good segue to, you know, the, the foundations of Ghostbusters itself, mm-hmm. because we only really have it because, of the Aykroyd family, you know, yeah. Dan Aykroyd and his family's love affair with the macabre and the and oh, yeah. the ghosts and all the that. Yeah. I, mean, I guess maybe not a cult's not the right word, but yeah, the macabre, the ghosts, the supernatural, um, basically all things weird and unexplained. The Aykroyds were fans of. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd's uh, father even wrote a book um, specifically about that. I mean, their experiences with it. Um, and, and that's, that's why I think it's interesting to talk about the origins of this story for a little bit is because Aykroyd, you know, I think for, for a guy who's kind of, he, he's got some, mm-hmm. some developmental issues, which I, I don't want to get into because, yeah. you know, folks can look that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite the challenges that Aykroyd had in his life, um, well, one thing I will mention, you know, his, his stuttering that he had growing up, mm-hmm. um, he ended up being able to kind of work his way through that by acting yeah, you know it's, so it's, it's very similar to how the, the scat man john um overcame yeah stuttering <laughs> exactly. through his through his craft 
<laughs> Imagine what would have happened if like <laughs> butterfly effect and all of a sudden Scatman John and Dan Aykroyd's, you know, roles were flipped. Um, but you know, when, when you, when you think about it though, Aykroyd's enthusiasm um, and, and his love for these topics really bleed through the the script in ways more than one, yes. especially mm-hmm. in his portrayal of Ray Stance. But oh yeah, the um, heart of the Ghostbusters through and through. Um, absolutely, he is the. I mean, when you look at like the dynamic every of of the group, and you've got Venkman who's there to make a buck, Egon who is just there basically to numbers with everything to the point where he's calculating in front of him seeing a ghost, and then there's there's Ray Stance, a true believer, and that is the epitome of Aykroyd really putting himself into this movie. Which is really, when you start to think about that too, because mm-hmm. you bring up a really good point. So um, to go back to the, the collaboration, right? Just for a mm-hmm. moment. Um, when we had Dan Aykroyd's original script for the film, it involved time travel. No space you know? travel. Um, yeah, space travel. Which is why you know? the P-tubes are on the suits that never get used for anything. Oh yeah, we don't talk about the P. We don't talk about the P tubes, except that uh, one thing. Then no more P tubes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those types of things. You know, Dan Aykroyd, if mm-hmm. left to be just pure creation, he will mm-hmm. come up with that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, and and so that's why we even have Harold Ramis coming into this fold because he was actually brought in by the studio to mm-hmm. rein in the script, right? Yeah, like like Aykroyd's got just just such this uh, creative mind that mm-hmm. if if you know if it's not tethered to anything it'll just keep going and yeah. and so so Ramis comes in like you mentioned you know he comes in mm-hmm. and what i found really interesting is that um these roles even though they were written with certain people in mind like we talked about mm-hmm. uh the original people that they wanted to bring in like John Belushi mm-hmm. um you know and Eddie Murphy but they didn't write those roles for you know uh ernie hudson no they they didn't write the role for hale ramus Mm -hmm. but in their portrayals of the characters they do end up playing versions of themselves right oh yeah and and that's really what i think is uh one of the more interesting aspects of this film is that you're really just getting to um you know get get under the hood Mm -hmm. of who these people are because to your point of uh, how these characters are played out. Um, one thing I will amend with regards to Egon Spangler is that Harold Ramis was less about the belief that Aykroyd has. Mm-hmm. He was more about proving things. Yeah, that's a better way to put it. I agree. Yeah, he mm-hmm. wanted to prove things. Like he wanted to prove the existence. He wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, he had all of the math and he had all the know-how to get there. Mm-hmm. But um, But that's why it's really funny that you mentioned the relationships here is that that's what kind of leads you to believe that Spangler and, and uh, stance kind of belong together. Right. Oh yeah. Like they, they definitely work hand in hand. Like these are the two people who are definitely, if we go back to the group project analogy, which was mentioned roughly for one second, these are the two who came together willingly wanting to do the project together. um, And are, are they're dedicated to get the A that's what they want out of this. Um, and then, and then in comes player three. <laughs> I, I, I like to grossly oversimplify at times, but like, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, Ray and Egon remind me of how the rule of two, but o- only as it pertains to Dodge enthusiasts or Mopar mm-hmm. enthusiasts. Okay. Yeah. There, there's always, there's always two of them, right? Yep. They come <laughs> they in a small group. 
and they always find each other, you know, and, <laughs> and so, um, that's, what's hilarious about those two characters mm -hmm. is that the, the amount of collaboration that happened you know, between Ramus and, and, and Aykroyd, you know, it, it bled through the script in so many different ways. And I, I mean, I don't think if, if these guys didn't spend, you know, three weeks locked in a Martha's vineyard bomb shelter, mm -hmm. you know, the Island of Massachusetts, as they call it. Yes. If, if they hadn't done that, um, I just don't know if this film comes across the way it does. Oh, no, there's no way. I mean, even that's what's even um, even the, the film coming out the way it did. I mean, you have to understand, like I was thinking in terms of like whittling because you had you had Aykroyd's main idea and it was it was fun. It was something different. But it was wild and it had to be whittled. It had to be tamed had to be brought down. And that's where Ramus came in uh, with the bomb shelter. And those two whittled it down to where it was. And I think it was, was it the Bruce or was it Reitman when he went to see the movie um, as it was airing or as it, as it came up, he actually walked out of it because he was afraid of how it was going to be received. Like he didn't even think the idea was going to work even after it had gotten um, brought down to what it was. And I don't remember if that was, if that was Reitman or if that was, or if that was just one of the other producers. Now you might be thinking of legendary film uh, producer, Tommy Wiseau for the room. <laughs> Are you sure? Cause I think he was confident 1000% through that production um, that his film was going to be a hit. <laughs> I actually, you, you, from what I remember, mm -hmm. you're absolutely dead on that. Reitman was so scared mm -hmm. that people weren't ready for this, that, um, that that was going to be the case that, yeah. uh, he was so terrified and so scared of what he was putting out there that they're going to look at and just laugh him out of Hollywood mm -hmm. and, and think about it, though. I mean, obviously we weren't alive, right? No, but we've covered that. Yeah. We weren't alive. Not clearly. there. Barely yeah, a thought. We don't need to get into nope. the, the, nope, uh, nope. yeah, the, the nuts and bolts of that, mm -mm. but but seriously, I mean, that, that's, that's the kind of fear that I, I actually think is, is great for this type of movie because, mm -hmm. it, I mean, clearly this was a leap of faith, right? You know, oh, yeah. like th these, these guys didn't know where their feet were going to land when they took this jump. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what, what I think is, is the most simple aspect of Ghostbusters that a lot of people tend to overlook is that you're really just watching a group of friends, right? Yeah. I mean, now th there's some nuances to the relationship between, mm -hmm. you know, between Spangler and Vankman that we talked about, mm -hmm. but I mean, they did share that crunch bar. Clearly something changed, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And so ultimately that's, that's one of the biggest themes of the movie that, um, that as I grew up, I, I gained a larger sense of respect for, mm -hmm. I mean, cause, cause really that's what you're watching. You're, you're, you're watching a group of friends uh, who are, I mean, when you, when you look at these, movie trailers and they say you know facing insurmountable odds you know and you're like <laughs> like you guys are, are full really? of shit really yeah yeah mm -hmm. you're full of shit but it's like but no these guys are are seriously like like people who leave college um who have to go into the private right. sector yep and expect results mm -hmm. and and so <laughs> that's that's literally what they did they mm -hmm. left college they founded a business and and uh you do see a little bit of that struggle come through right it's yeah. Um, so I, I think right away, one of the most important aspects of Ghostbusters is that despite being, you know, fringe sci-fi, fringe, mm -hmm. you know, spirituality, whatever, you do have some very basic concepts to be introduced to, get familiar with, and something to latch on to. And so, 
that that's that's why I think as an adult, it's pretty easy to get sucked into that film. Oh yeah, it is. I mean, um, I'm trying to think. Like even then, by the time you hit '84 rolls around, you've got Bill Murray's a pretty big name by that point, um, isn't he? Because he's had because Stripes was before this, Caddyshack was before this. So Billy's uh, so Murray is a, is a is a pretty well established name by that point, and I think that's kind of what draws people in initially to it. But then again, like just the more you kind of watch the movie, the more you immerse yourself into it, the more you appreciate it. Um, and I think that's that's part of the joy of of this original movie. Again, like it's one thing like me watching, like we talked about, like when we watched as a kid, there are just so many things went over heads we didn't see. And you see it now and it just gets better each time you watch it. Um, there's no. I even think, even think, even, I, I'm trying to think. Even if I saw it as an adult, I don't think would have caught everything the first time through. Um, I wouldn't have noticed these some some nuances in the relationship and how the characters actually develop through the movie right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and that's and that's how you know there's there's a little more thought, a little more care put into mm-hmm. the the actual writing of the film because good movies, or I should say, bad movies usually don't have that much to offer the mm-hmm. more you watch it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about all the movies you've watched that were modern comedies that might have some quotable things in it, mm-hmm. but you go back and watch it again and you're just watching it for those same scenes. Yeah, you just get you the know? quotes and that's about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's not what I ended up getting, you know, from from Ghostbusters. Like no. from, mm-hmm. from Ghostbusters, you know, one of, one of the things that I didn't notice right away uh, was the fact that even outside of the uh, the Alhambra ballroom, mm-hmm. and they're talking about pricing out, you know, oh, the extermination, yeah. mm-hmm. and Eon is literally flashing numbers, yeah, like on his face, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. he's he's literally telling Vankman to up the know, price each yeah. time Vankman's yeah. saying something, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just just total nonverbal stuff, you yeah, know, and like and that's the part where you start to see where those two characters are actually like getting along, that the relationship is changing in the movie because when you first see them. Yep. The first time introduced to Egon, um, he's like, he's using a, basically a stethoscope to look things over in the library. And the first thing Beckman does is mess with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally messes with them. And, and that's a really important point you bring up is because mm-hmm. this is before the montage. Oh right? yeah. Well before the montage. This is before the success. This is before, mm-hmm. you know, they're blown up. So the fact that him and Venkman could could achieve that before even all that happens mm-hmm. it does tell you that there's actually some character progression that occurs from minute 10 to you know minute 40 right yeah. and they do that without even really telling you you no. just have to pay mm-hmm. attention and so that's the kind of thing that a lot of movies these days have to bluntly throw at you yeah they, you know, or, hey, we're addressing character development now listen in you know mm-hmm Thanks for uh, thanks for putting this in bold italics and underlining it for us, um, because we didn't see that uh, when a character blatantly did something. <laughs> yeah. So now they have to blatantly tell us they're doing something too. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's what's what's really brilliant about this. Now, to to go back to your point about the, just the uh, the time, the period where these actors, you know, and actresses were in their careers. The the Saturday Night Live alums, um, especially Aykroyd, like Aykroyd mm-hmm. was on it from, I think, from like 75 to 79. Mm-hmm. So he, he's he got this Ghostbusters idea that he's formulating. And I mean, I, I guess since I obviously wasn't alive, I couldn't comment on firsthand knowledge. But I'm assuming that he's a solid like 
he's like a solid 85%. You know, he's a, he's, he's a B, right? <laughs> yeah. This, dude, this mm-hmm. dude's a B. He's on his way to yeah. an A. But mm-hmm. like at that point in time, yeah, I think he's like a supporting dude, you know? Um, yeah. And to reinforce your point, you know, Bill Murray is a little bit more established. He's mm-hmm. got a little bit more of the, the style, right? So yeah. he's got that gravitas about him. And so it, it was interesting though, that, I think if you have Ghostbusters without an Ackroyd and without mm-hmm. a Ramus, I don't think Murray shines nearly as much as he does. Oh no, 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 in no, this no. Film. And, and it's because of the structure it's because of what's there. Mm-hmm. And w- so once again, going back to the idea of being an adult and going back and watching Ghostbusters <laughs> again, mm-hmm. it's incredible just how much mythos they built out yeah. for this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you, when you think about it, um, you know, when, when you first took like Western civilization and, and, uh, Oh, Mesopotamia and the cradle of civilization. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. The fertile crescent, if you were. Yes. The fertile crescent of Mesopotamia. (laughs) Yeah. If you guys want to dust off your, your Western civ books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but, but that's, that's, what's interesting, right? Like those are the small things Mm -hmm. that made it into Ghostbusters that, that uh, a lot of films wouldn't take time, let, let alone a, a movie like this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and one thing that I come back to is, is the idea of the ziggurat. And you and I have talked about this before. Yes. You know, the, the mm-hmm. Mesopotamian temples that they worshiped at it, the, the ziggurat literally shows up uh, in the portal, you know, that Gozer walks out of at the end of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. They actually took time to design a ziggurat style temple. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, it, it's it's a movie that's constantly paying attention to the things that they're integrating into it. You know, yeah. they're not just they're not just doing the uh, the standard comedy, mm-hmm. you know, draft creation where it's like, well, A happens, B happens, so C happens, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like no, guys, these no. every single element has tentacles in this movie, mm-hmm. and and so just that amount of care is is uncommon in Hollywood, let alone a quote unquote comedy. Yeah, I mean, something we've talked about before with discussing other properties is that uh, this does not have wasted dialogue. Um, basically, when Ghostbusters introduces something, like they come back to it throughout the movie. Um, sure, it'll have a one-liner joke here and there. Um, and those one-liners are usually like they're improvised. Um, you know, everything is going fine until Dickless shut off the, uh, the containment field. Yes, mm-hmm. Your Honor, it's true. That man has no dick. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a funny thing. It's not... Even then, it wasn't wasted dialogue. Bill Murray built that off of existing dialogue that was already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking these things where you see the ziggurat at the end of the movie that shows hints in these civilizations, like you, that came from learning about uh, Gozer worshippers uh, earlier in the film when uh, they were interviewing Dana Barrett um, and then they're not sure quite what's going on or what she's seeing. Uh, they looked up the name. It does this, it does that. It's the Sumerians, uh, the Hittites, all that fun stuff. And it comes back up multiple times through the movie. So it's not like just, you know, throwing out the fourth cataclysm that makes zero sense at all. And there's no first, second or third or anything that leads into that. You're just spouting something that sounds kind of supernatural and fun. Whereas like, no, no, like they're building every little bit of this as they go along in the movie that's going to lead to the actual end of the movie um, 
for the main fight of the villain and the villain actually makes sense and isn't just the logo Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. <laughs> and once and for those who haven't seen the Ghostbusters reboot, uh, that is what we're referring to right yeah. now. It's, yeah. it's if you haven't that... seen it, do yourself a favor and don't. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm gonna say oh, this. Oh man, for those that haven't seen mm-hmm. the reboot, right? I, I'll never tell someone just avoid a movie to avoid it. But I, I that's why I'm well, here, and that's fine. If you if you want to do that, you know, I, I watched mm-hmm. the movie. And it was because I, I wanted to just judge it based on its merit, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we could always talk about that, you know, later. Another time. Um, mm-hmm. To get, to get back to the details of, of the original Ghostbusters though. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, not wasting dialogue, you know, it, there's the suspension of disbelief that movies consistently utilize, right? Mm-hmm. They want to introduce you to elements of the plot so that you have just enough to carry you you know, from act to act. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of movies just really fail with that idea. Yeah. You know, like by the time you're seeing like the, the climax of the film, you're like, okay. uh, Yeah. All right. Well, Mm -hmm. I think I'm done with this, you know, with Ghostbusters, what was interesting was that suspension of disbelief was really masterfully done. Um, And and for the reasons that you mentioned, you know, you, you get introduced to pieces of information along the way. And, when people look at Ghostbusters, I've heard them say that there is throwaway dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, and one of them is when um, Vince Clortho, you know, comes through and, and takes over our, our favorite accountant, Louis Tully. Yes. Um, Rick Moranis did a mm-hmm. great job with that role. But he mentioned something specifically to Egon about the McKetrick supplicants who mm-hmm. were this unknown race, you know, an ancient race of humans who were wiped out by gozer mm-hmm. in in the form of a giant slore yeah okay now none of us know what a giant slore is no one knows what a slore is no un- unless you played the ghostbusters video game which i would love to do a deep dive at one point on that we'll get um, there eventually because that's where we saw a slore for the first time <laughs> <laughs> yeah you see a giant slore yeah. in that, in that mm-hmm. game and and when you're given that information though um it can feel like it's a throwaway mm-hmm but it is build up though. It is. I mean, and, you're, you're establishing like what this, what again, what this being is capable of. It wiped out an entire civilization just because the civilization may be nonsense or non-existent or not real. It doesn't mean it's a throwaway dialogue at that point. No, no, they, they were, they were wiped out simply mm-hmm. because Gozer chose the slurm or the, the, the form of a giant, you know, basically a giant slug that just wiped out everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you start to think about these elements and as they build up, you know, we start off with not really knowing what ghosts are. Well, mm-hmm. we know what ghosts are, but yeah. in, in the context of the film, you know, we slowly get to understand, okay, here's a ghost. All right. And then we build up into the, the reasoning for why uh, ghosts are appearing, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's kind of like a, a light mystery within, within the film. Like, you know, why are these things happening? Um, we begin to the introduction to Dana's building and as we go, we start to understand that the ghosts themselves aren't just haunting the city. The ghosts are literally energy used to open portals to other worlds. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. as you progress through the film, the stakes get just a little bit higher every mm-hmm. minute. Right. Um, and by the time you finally see the state of marshmallow man, you know, stepping on church, mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But so has everything else been that I've just watched for almost an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And 
and and I am enjoying it just as much then as I am now. Oh yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't yeah. know. It's think of like like think of like how it's enjoyable too. Like you think of again, like in the eighties, like they were, they were fairly limited in the effects they could do, but at the same time, like those effects were fantastic using a combination of practical effects. So it didn't look so outrageously unbelievable, but at the same time they had a budget. So it didn't look wompy uh, mixed with the effects they used for the ghosts made the ghosts look like they were actually interacting. They didn't look like they were cartoons. Yeah. Um, so I think like, yeah, it was ridiculous and the special effects were were great and that's what helped kind of like you know it's just another layer of this movie that was so well done for its time and still is well done um mm-hmm. like we'll both argue that ghostbusters is one of the one of the better comedies ever um not just of its time yeah mm-hmm. yeah and and you know the 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 puppetry that was utilized you know and the effects that they ended up going with mm-hmm. you know when you think about movies and, and the budgets and how they operated back then this was a pretty, you know, this is a pretty big budget film. Mm-hmm. I mean, now people would hear 25 or 30 million and they go, well, big deal. I mean, a Marvel movie makes that on Thursday night tickets, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays. It makes it in its sleep. Didn't even try. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel yeah. just gets that. But, mm-hmm. you know, or when you start to look at inflation though, right? Like when you look at how much money Ghostbusters made back in 1980. So it, it made, uh, I think, right around like just under $300 million. And in today's money, that's that's almost $800 million, Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So when you start to think of it, like when you need a comparison, um, we're almost looking at the same style of budget versus box office performance that the first Deadpool had. And, 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 and that kind of stuff didn't happen very much back then. No, no. So, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take your word for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. Um, yeah, because I I don't have other numbers in front of me. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. That that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But that's 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 the kind of frame I think people don't really think about when they when they look at Ghostbusters. They just think, you know, this is an '80s movie. '80s movies are grainy. They look a certain way. But really, if you look through it with that lens, you're really cheating yourself out of what makes this movie great when you start to look at all the parts and add them together. And, you know, there's, there's little elements of Ghostbusters that I, I specifically wanted to focus on today. Um, one of them being the music of this movie. Now, most people are going to say, oh, you're talking about Ray Parker Jr. No, oh, everyone remembers Ray Parker Jr., I am not talking about Ray Parker. Not Jr. Ray Parker Jr. We are not worried. We're at no point are we concerned over who you should be calling about the music. No, mm-hmm. no. I well, I am concerned about who you're calling about the music, but the person that I want to talk about is Elmer Bernstein. Ooh. So one of the things about Ghostbusters that mm-hmm. is immediate, you know, from like the get-go, is is the tone the music sets for the film, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things that is so distinct that it separates it from Ghostbusters 2 just because of that. Yeah. And Elmer Bernstein, if, if, uh, if you've only heard the name in passing, um, he's actually a composer of some of the most iconic films of yesteryear. So he's actually an Academy Award-winning uh, composer um, for a film that nobody has probably heard of called <laughs> uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie of 1967. Um, I literally do not know 
I have no idea. I've, I've met 1 million in my life and she used to come <laughs> into a restaurant I worked out in Janesville every day uh, at noon and get, uh, I believe it was a Cuban sandwich and a, uh, a glass of vodka straight up. It's possible. And that's as modern Millie yeah. as I know. It's possible this is who that Millie, you know, that's what the movie was based on. It probably is. And I hope it is. That Millie was a legend in her own time. (laughs) Well, and and to Bernstein's credit, you know, he he actually did a theme song for the original Magnificent Seven, Mm -hmm. uh, The Great Escape. Um, He also did music for Animal House, Airplane, and one of your favorite movies of all time, The Wild Wild West, uh, starring Will Smith. Big Willie. Who yeah, doesn't so, love Big Willie? Come on, come on! If if you don't like the guy, you, you got issues. And you have to appreciate a time when, whenever he was in a movie, he made a song for the movie. And sometimes that song was the best part of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, you know, Elmer Bernstein pretty much made this film. You know, because when you think about it, if you put Ghostbusters mm-hmm. as a backdrop and you put different music in there. I mean, it, it just completely changes the entirety of it. I mean, the, the, the movie is, is so distinct um, from, the, from the, the music that's used. Um, it just kind of gives you this sense of like creepiness, mm-hmm. you know, it, it inspires the, the tones of a horror movie that, um, that you just, you feel, you don't have yeah. to, you don't have to think about it. You just mm-hmm. feel, you know, um, and so uh, that's that's one of the craziest things when you start to talk about the uh, <laughs> how they got so many things right, mm-hmm. and we're not even talking about writing, right? No, not even writing. You're thinking of just like the overall tone, cinematography, music of the movie. Like you, like you brought up, like this is this movie was a dark comedy. Which as as a child, I didn't understand the comedy bit. But again, looking at just from the music, like you said, like it has these tones that just make it creepy. But at the same time it rolls right into almost a whimsy uh, with certain parts. Uh, whenever uh, it goes from like Dana Barry's apartment to suddenly you're back at the firehouse and they're afraid that you can't see the sign because it's too small and no one's going to notice it. And the music does this great transition from creepy mystery to, um, you know, we're trying to get this business started. Nothing's working. And uh, who pulled up this jalopy up a, uh, <laughs> up to the front you can't park that here <laughs> well in 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 that sense you know the the music uh almost feels like its own character in a lot of ways because it pulls you through the film just as much as the dialogue just as much as the mythos mm-hmm. you know the the music um it, it really does make the film yeah and and uh, kind of as we talk about the you know the growing stakes of this you know the music really matches the occasion too you know, like when you think about uh, them opening up the gate at the end and the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. are coming around the corner and seeing the doors, you know, to the portal open. I mean, that that music just really takes over. Yeah. You know, and and it almost drives the the shock you see on the actors faces, even though they're composing the music separately. Right. They don't hear this when they're acting, Mm-mm. but it matches perfectly. So absolutely just, just beautiful uh, composition from, from Bernstein on that. Um, but, you know, the, the, other, um, the other character that's kind of floating out there that, that folks don't always pay attention to is the director of photography. And you may have heard this name before, but stop me if you haven't. 
okay. Mr. Laszlo Kovacs. Notice how I did not stop you. You did not in stop me. In the middle of you saying that man's name. I didn't stop you at all. Like, keep going. <laughs> Laszlo, I know a few. Kovacs, I know fewer of. Yeah, this um, list suddenly <laughs> becomes comically short. <laughs> yeah, dude, Laszlo Kovacs, man. That, that's, that's a name that I'm assuming the majority of fans of Ghostbusters have literally never heard of. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, how many times have you heard that name? Uh, I believe three times because that's as many times as you said it during the, the, the span of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I know this may not seem all that crazy, but he was a Hungarian cinematographer. You know, Laszlo Kovacs isn't somebody that's you're going to you know run into in downtown Chicago. Um, but he actually worked with uh, some pretty popular directors back in the day. Uh, he actually worked with uh, Dennis Hopper and Martin Scorsese, just to throw a couple out there. Um, but he he was you know part of of the Ghostbusters you know photography team, and a lot of the inspirations for um, like these these big you know panning scenes of New York City mm-hmm. are because of him. Like he he gave the the direction of you know, let's, let's literally take a, a zoomed in shot of the Ecto one and pull it back and show it crossing, uh, you know, I can't remember what bridge it is going into New York, but you know, that just that shot, it's so iconic when you think of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what thing could be bigger than this story is, is New York city, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like New York city is once again, one of those characters that, that uh, it doesn't really get credited, right? Mm. It's always there, though. It's, it's always, always looming there. over it. Always looming, and which I believe that scene you mentioned was that the uh, the last known resting place of the Ecto One until the second movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right, because it, it died like five Constantly. minutes after that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it broke down all the time, and then it was that scene where like, yep, it broke down and it's done. <laughs> yeah, we're just not using it anymore. Yeah, which is just tragic when you start to think about it, the people who have restored vehicles to, mm-hmm. to look like the Ecto-1. It's <laughs> because it's that spirit carries from the film to almost everybody I know who's yeah. ever put money into one of these things. But, yep. but yeah, that, that story is particularly funny because, yeah, as soon as they finish that establishing shot, you know, and it's pretty late in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as soon as they pan out the Ecto-1, just sputters and dies on the bridge <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. oh god absolutely brilliant oh yeah which because it's that that's the shot where I, I think back to when you um you mentioned how like the ghosts are they're basically a um a, like a symbol or a, basically a signal that like something larger is going to happen some greater portals opening um and someone who we really haven't touched on yet at all uh, we talk about character development in changing the Ghostbusters. And that's, I think that's because like he comes so late in the movie and that is Winston Zedmore. And he has that line where he's like, Ray, maybe the reason we've been so busy lately is because the dead are rising for the grave. And then Ray gets nervous and wants the radio turned up. Yeah. Let's um, hear a little music. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear a little music. <laughs> so it, yeah. I, I find it interesting. Like you look at the dynamic of the original three, how you have um, the two that are clearly, in this for like a belief um and and for science and for advancement and then there's the man who just wants to make a buck off of it because he's a he's a um what do i want to say what are we looking for 
He's a former soldier for one. And then, mm-hmm. and they don't talk about this in the, no, no, they in don't. the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it, this is all like post. This is like comics. This is video games. This is all yep. the stuff that came later. Um, but his, his character really is the balance that they never had. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he, cause he's not money hungry like Vankman. Nope. Nope. He's not a fraud like Vankman. That's the term no. I was looking for. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He's not a fraud. <laughs> and, and but what's what's it really interesting about him is that mm-hmm. even though he and Ernie Hudson will even say this himself that the character of Winston was presented to him differently than it ended up being when they shot the film. Mm-hmm. So he ended up having, I think it was upwards of almost like two thirds of his dialogue was just completely ripped out of the script. And yeah, his character got gutted pretty hard. Yeah. C- completely gutted. And and so there's there's some things about that that, that are unfortunate mm-hmm. that people have mentioned it could be because of uh the fact that um maybe he wasn't thought to be that big of an actor at the time mm-hmm. and that you know he'd been doing largely um you know plays. Yeah he'd been doing point. theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah he'd been doing a lot of theater and so you know when when you're not Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. I, I imagine that has to do a lot with it. But, Probably, but it, it it says even more about the lines that he did get to say, mm-hmm. the one that you mentioned, because when you when you think about it, and you're put yourself in the shoes of the original three Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and and you're just kind of you're you're working through this day job, and you're not really thinking about is this actually a bigger issue, you know? Like, yeah, no, you can you can tell up to that point in the movie, these guys are doing that, like they're, yeah, they're just day to day. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. their nine to five. Like they're, they're, they're just going through this, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden, Ray has the epiphany because you're right. It scares the shit out of him. Yeah, he never thought about it like that before. He never thought about it. This is like he didn't think this of this as revelation, like Winston thought of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and and Winston has that perspective because he wasn't living it as long as these guys were. No, and so mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, his character becomes much more important than. Mm-hmm than just the few lines of dialogue that he gets yeah you know because uh the tide turns quite a bit there because Mm -hmm. you have like once again you've got all of these individual pieces that you've been given whether it's the mesopotamians the sumerians the gozer worshipers uh you know and and some of these architectural things you know like we we Mm -hmm. haven't even talked about the the main baddie of the film evo shandor who (laughs) you know uh Mm -hmm. we we can we can get into that in a little bit but all of those elements removed from Evo Shandor are weird. They don't make sense. No. So yeah, this, these are the elements that we were introduced to that didn't really add up to anything. And all of a sudden they come to the forefront because of that one line of dialogue Mm -hmm. that Winston has. So once again, even though they had to cut some of what his character was going to do, that's still tremendous for him to be able to pull it all together because that's that revelation is something that stance has in the moment, but we also have that same realization as, as viewers of the film. So Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely powerful moment. I think it's one of the the stronger ones, the entire film, to be honest with you, because it feels somewhat Mm -hmm. rooted in reality, doesn't it? I mean, even though Mm -hmm. you've got some really crazy things that, you know, as you're watching it for the first time, you're trying to wrap your head around it. That one kind of brings it back. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah. And speaking of um, one of his iconic lines, uh, and my opportunity to run the maths and numbers on you, sir, 
um, is at the close to the end of the movie when they are about to go and cross the streams and everyone's excited to be a part of the plan except for Winston because he states this job is not worth another 11.5 a year. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you look and you adjust that for inflation for modern day uh, uh, price, he's making like $26,000 a year for that job. And <laughs> as someone who's lived off of $26,000 a year in the middle of Wisconsin where price of the price cost of living is not very high, uh, I would say New York City. No, that job is not worth another eleven five a year. <laughs> <laughs> look, he couldn't get anything. Like, like you look at like his apartment, which would be a tiny, cluttered apartment, um, would be way more than eleven thousand five a year. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's no way you could afford anything at eleven five a year. No, no, not in New York. <laughs> you know, and, and and that's the other part of this too that that I, I always do laugh about a little bit was how could a musician afford an apartment in a high rise, you know, next to central park. Yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, we don't really, I guess like there's some backstory we don't get, we don't get why, um, Dana Barrett does have that kind of money. We, maybe we can assume, uh, she's inherited money. Get their um, money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Hey, you know, on the topic of money in this film though, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, Janine complains about it, you know, Annie yep. Potts, uh, mm-hmm. playing the secretary, you know, she complains about the money she's making. You know, we, we've got the accountant in, in Lewis Tully. Uh, and, he, you know, he, he drops all of that information about his clients at the, you know, uh, at, at the, the party. party. And, and how he saves money with generic prescriptions as opposed yes. to name brands. Yeah, and salmon <laughs> from Nova Scotia. Canada. Oh, Nova Scotia salmon. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, those little details, you know, when, when presented on their own seem strange. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember, earlier in this film, we literally talked about uh, opening up an additional mortgage on Ray Stant's childhood home. Mm-hmm. And, and we've talked about math a couple of times here, but the interest on the first five years of loan <laughs> comes to $95,000, right? So oh. when you think about oh. that, <laughs> put that, we've talked about inflation a couple of mm-hmm. times. The, the interest rate in $2020 would be $48,000 per year. So, <laughs> okay. So 48,000 times five, roughly, roughly a quarter in, million. Yeah. A quarter million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Roughly a quarter million dollars. That? There's no way they paid that. We, we now know why, uh, uh, they were really ramping up the price on that first <laughs> deal at the Sedgwick. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Cause how the hell, how the hell how do you are they pay paying that back? Yeah. You're, you're not paying that off you with no one's uh, paying that off. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's that's one of those other elements of this movie that mm-hmm. that as a kid you're never going to appreciate. No, you're not going to get that at all. Yeah, but but once <laughs> you start to to pick that apart and you go, I mean, hell, even now, ninety five thousand dollars for a five year, <laughs> you know, for the first five years, who in the right be... mind would take that loan? No, nobody <laughs> would. Which which makes once again no throwaway lines, mm-hmm. which makes at nineteen percent you didn't even bargain with the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just brilliant. Oh man! man. <laughs> but, yeah, here, here's a couple of things I want to hit you with though, mm-hmm. and uh, mostly because I I have a sense of pride on on some of the trivia from Ghostbusters along the okay. way. Um, one of them's fairly easy though, and it's what uh dan or what uh, what stance and spangler are munching on when they first interview dan uh yeah cheese it's 
Yes. Yep. Bag of cheese. It's and uh, you know that that's that's one of those funny trivia things that occasionally pops up, right? Every once in a while. Yep. Mm-hmm. But the one that doesn't come up very often is what Vankman and Stance are drinking on the steps of Columbia oh, in okay. the very beginning of the movie, right mm-hmm. when they decide to go into business. Do you know what liqueur they were drinking at that point in time? Yep, this is killing me. Was it cognac? You're close. Oh, but it is okay. it is Hiram Walker's apricot brandy. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. I don't know. I say this not because it's coming back to me. Um, the brain wasn't meant to store oh, that kind of information. It's not there, but now it's there and I've lost something I needed. So yeah. <laughs> I will remember, um, I will remember the brandy now, but I won't remember, uh, to pay my rent. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's <Yeah>. gone <laughs> it's like yeah all of a sudden like you're, you're coming down to visit and it's like you know what i realized i was 20 miles closer to your house but there's no wheel in my car it was weird and, and i i just had to steer with with a wrench and and a pair of needle nose pliers and i did manage to stop at a liquor store to grab this apricot brandy for some reason <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, I i'm a big fan of brandy you know, mm-hmm. I, I love me some brandy, um, and I, I'm not going to mention any name brands because mostly because none of them are sponsors. And no, well, you know, not. frankly, that's just not a, a road I want to go down. Nope. Um, but it, I got to give credit to them for this. I mean, if there was something I was going to be swigging out of a bottle, you know, in that setting, mm-hmm. brandy would probably be the lowest impact thing I could think of. Yeah. Um, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, that's one of those trivia questions that I love to throw out there because. Um, you know, it, it's it's something that was so specific for the time period. I don't even know how long mm-hmm. that stuff was even out for. But um, it, for those listening to this for the first time, if you ever want to stump a <laughs> Ghostbusters fan, ask them about that brandy. That'll Let's probably see, get them. Know. Yeah, I think that'll get them. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say that I am like the biggest Ghostbusters buff. I just have, you know, the VHS still on my on my bookshelf. I've, I've got my massive glow-in-the-dark poster in front of me. I have the Proton, bilk, uh, Proton pack that I, I built. Uh, next to me um, and my Kenner one that I had as a kid hanging out over here. Um, oh man. <laughs> yeah. It's still there. The stickers not holding up, but yeah. I do like the movie is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, some people will use nine months to create a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up using nine months to build my own proton pack as well. You did. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly out of MDF board and, and uh, some resin, you know, but. Oh, good old resin. But, you know, that's that's there's a reason why, you know, this film is is so as endearing as it is and why it does stand a test of time. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason why we're still talking about it well over 35 years later. Yeah. Um, And and a lot of films just can't do that. You know, no. Um, Think about the Game of Thrones effect. Game of Thrones was one of the the biggest properties one of the biggest you know pop mm-hmm. culture disruptors in the last you know 20 years yep and it has a bad finale and then and no one talks about it anymore and we're not talking about it, it just drops right off except for right now but this doesn't count we're talking about how no one talks about it therefore we're not talking about it precisely yes. we're fight clubbing this one up which by the no, way we're not talking we, about as well no one talks about that that's that's rule number one yeah <laughs> and and yeah, so once again, it's it's looking at the individual elements of this movie 
and how it's almost a perfect storm mm-hmm. of, of elements that came together, you know, but um, the one thing I, I will, I, I think it's a good thing to leave off on is the fact that, you know, we've referred to it as a comedy. Other people have referred to it as a comedy, but mm-hmm. the thing that you mentioned that, that stuck with me is that it is kind of a dark comedy in a lot of ways because there are dark things that are happening in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm assuming just because of the fact that there were literally, you know, tribes of people murdered in the past of this film, you know, there, there's some dark elements to it. Yeah. And, and the comedy though, to me, isn't something that could have always been written. Right. No, no. And you and I have talked about the improv, you mm-hmm. know, um, and, and there are elements of the script. You can even go back and look. Um, there's even stuff in the margins where there are scenes where you've got like stuff that you've clearly seen in the film, but, but then there's just massive spots where there's just stuff that never was documented. It just, it just came out. Mm-hmm. And, and so when people like to sum it up as just being a comedy, I think it's discredit to the actors um, because they were obviously playing versions of themselves to a point, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but, but they understood their characters so well that they were able to do that. I mean, you, you can't improv unless you have a pretty strong sense of character. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that, um, that I, I kind of, you know, kind of let wash over me every time I watch this movie is trying to pick out the stuff that feels like improv because it just feels natural. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the improv in this film doesn't really disrupt, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you, you watch, like, let's just say the Anchorman's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you, you watch uh, pretty much any Paul Rudd movie, you know, when I love Paul Rudd, but don't. Oh, yeah. And, and Will Ferrell since we're on the Anchorman bit too. Yeah. Both great, but, both great actors. But it, it, there's almost a switch that flips, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, these guys are sitting there, they're filming anywhere of like 50 to a hundred quick takes mm-hmm. of one liners. And, and let's just pick the funniest ones. Yep. And I, and I'm sure the Ghostbusters, you know, crew, they had to film a ton of stuff because they were probably laughing too much. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't, I'm not going to act like I was there, but, but I mean, in, in, in practice with this movie, with the amount of pressure they were under, I doubt these guys were just running film to run film. Yeah. At that, at that stage. Mm-hmm. So when your back is against the wall, you had a ton of pressure, you know, you, you've got to do things a certain way. And I, and, and, and that's honestly the way that movie comes across. It mm-hmm. just does. Yeah. Um, it comes across like it's an inspired movie and not just a, a comedy. We got to get out so we can fill time on the schedule. Oh, yeah, man. I just, oh, I don't know. Like I keep wanting to talk more and more about it. Like, everything like um like you said like the like the dialogue and the things they think of this movie like everything builds everything builds i refuse to believe that there's wasted dialogue in this movie like think of like all the stuff that ray says towards the beginning of the movie um uh symmetrical book stacking like the uh philadelphia mass turbulence event of, of 1947 yeah uh, which there is no philadelphia mass turbulence effect of turbulence event of 1947 um, there is the Roswell incident of 1947, and then there's the Philadelphia experiment of 1943, which was a supposedly a military experiment of a ship trying to turn invisible, um, 
with electromagnetic waves and then the ship somehow teleports to New York City and then to another dimension and picks up aliens and crew members die. And then, uh, yeah, that's completely like it, that never happened. But that was allegedly it somehow happened. It allegedly happened. Um, he talks about that. Um, he talks about the Tungusta the blast of 1909, which is actually of 1908. So there's a small <laughs> oops there. Um, and then, of course, the undersea unexplained mass sponge migration, which I find it funny. He has to mention that it's undersea. So this way we don't think of it as like kitchen sponges just moving somewhere on us. Um, but all of those things, like they just build Ray's character. Like you understand that he's basically going to look at everything in this lens as though it's somehow supernatural. And that's how he's seeing things. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I just, oh, I love it so well, much. One thing I want to mention about the mm -hmm. Tunguska blast. Now, um, if you actually look back at the script, mm -hmm. So back in 83, when they were still formulating some of this, it's pretty clear he absolutely wanted the Tunguska blast to show up mm -hmm. somewhere in the movie because it, 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 they, you know, it was scribbled out. It was written here. So the, the, the tethering some of the mythos of these real events, you know, and, or quote unquote, the 1908 uh, Tunguska blast, Yeah, you know, th that once again, it's, it's framing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, they're 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 framing all these things that um, that really validate the characters and 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 especially from Stance's viewpoint, just like Aykroyd, a very technically minded person, mm -hmm. and so of course they would be involved in these types of you know strange things. Um, yep, and then in all reality, the sponges moved like a foot. It wasn't very <laughs> far at all, which again sets up Bankman's character right away. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh God, it's so good. Um, and then small, like, again, like really smuddle, uh, like smuddle, smuddle is not a word. Um, no, but we'll but try we can to hashtag it, it. Hashtag smuddle. Yeah. Um, for I'm looking reason. at our, I'm looking at our producer right now who doesn't exist. No, no, and no I'm having, I'm, I'm having them write down smuddle right okay. now. Okay. Yep. Um, but subtle things that are done, like after walking up 40 flights of stairs with 40 pounds of unlicensed at that point in time, thoroughly tested nuclear uh, accelerators on their backs. And they get to the top of the stairs. And the first thing out of Egon's line is Art Deco. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Notices the decoration and the architecture. Nothing else. They're about to go uh, fight Gozer, who, again, has been built up through the entire movie. And that's the first thing that comes out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. fantastic. It's hilarious. And, and that's once again, that's that's mm -hmm. consistency, right? Yep. I mean, when, when you finally do get to the top of the building, and, and we'll also mm -hmm. use Egon as an example here, you know, when when uh, Vankman asks him, you know, what have you got left? And he goes, sorry, Vankman, I'm terrified beyond the capacity for <laughs> rational thought. And it's like, it's like, but that's that's the most rational thing I've just heard in the last yep. five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. And actually, uh, the thought came to me before we before we sign off here. Um uh, fact checking us when we said that like um, before Winston had sent the line about revelation and the dead rising from the grave Ray hadn't come to the realization yet that something bigger was building we were hinted at once before that that there was a build in the movie do you remember where it is a build of psychokinetic stuff leading to something bigger oh I mean the, the Twinkie moment the Twinkie yeah the yeah. Twinkie that's the oh, that's yeah. the one hint we have towards it but like that doesn't still it doesn't that doesn't settle in with Ray or doesn't resonate with him until until Winston does that line later on. 
But once again, remember mm-hmm. the things that we're introduced to as we go, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Twinkie discussion is based off of what we know at that point in time. Yes. Right. Like mm-hmm. we don't have any possessions yet. We don't have any, any, uh, any talk of, um, of gates opening. We have no mm-hmm. key master, any of that stuff. So yes, you're right. It, it's there. It's, it is something they mentioned to us, mm-hmm. but we, once again, we were being led down a path at that mm-hmm. point still. And, and so I, I just think it's responsible storytelling at that point. Oh yeah, completely. Um, which all those uh, again things you don't realize until you're older, keymaster and gatekeeper being allegory for sexy times and private parts did not catch onto that one bit as a child. <laughs> and then I mean, you, you realize yeah. it, and you're like, oh, oh, okay, the key goes into the gate. Gotcha. I mean, Joe, I, I still am not quite sure what you're hinting at, but I'm assuming it's, <laughs> I'm assuming it's sarcasm, and I'll, oh, I'll leave it at that. Yes, that's all it was, just sarcasm. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know what? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's why, once again, it's, it's great to watch this movie as a kid and, and grow up with it, because once again, there's so much going on here that you have things that you can notice that you didn't the first time around mm-hmm. um, or it's stuff that you may not notice even 20 years down the yeah. road. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why I think this was the perfect movie to really start off doing a deep dive on. Yeah. Um, just because there's probably going to be stuff you and I are going to remember afterward and, and we'd even mm-hmm. come back and amend it. And that's going to go ahead and uh, take care of the first episode. We got that one in the books. Um, yeah. That one's down. So yeah. You know, thank you all so much for uh, for hanging out with us. Um, hopefully, you've uh, you've learned something about this uh, this movie that maybe you didn't before, or maybe you just found uh, common ground with two dudes who really like the movie for some of the same reasons you like the movie. Um, and what you could do is maybe maybe share something that we didn't talk about that really really attached you to the property in the comments today. Uh, and that's no matter where you are, you can find us uh, on YouTube, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook at Digital Sect One. Uh, digital dissect one in case I said that a little too fast for you um, but yeah go ahead uh, hopefully you uh, uh, leave a like leave a comment um, subscribe to us and you know keep coming back we'd really appreciate it yeah, and if you've got other things too that you'd like us to cover in a future deep dive mm-hmm. also feel free to add that in the comments and while we most likely won't do it right away we may actually cover it at some point yeah and by may actually it's not that you know we are we're, we're above anything. We certainly are not. We we just, uh, because this isn't paying the bills just yet, we just have other, we have jobs. I think that's, that's the big thing. Um, the jobs will get in the way for a while, but we will do our best to get to uh, your suggestions and things you'd like us to go over. Um, and we are going to try going over things, uh, again, that like we, we enjoy and have a good amount of background knowledge on. Uh, not that we're against learning new things, uh, but those will be especially easier for us in the first season uh, of the podcast yeah i guess for now we once again appreciate you joining us for this deep dive and uh, look forward to having you with us on the next one as well